Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. Thanks for joining me. This week's episode is dedicated to my brother Sean, a lifelong Newcastle United supporter. When we think of the great Newcastle teams, we go back to the 90s, the noughties, and remember the entertainers. Well, this week I'm joined by a homegrown Geordie legend who absolutely epitomised what it meant to represent your boyhood club. I'm joined by Lee Clock. Let's find out the whole story. Morning, Lee. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. How are you today? Morning, Andy. Yeah, I'm great. Thanks. Delighted that uh, you've invited us on and... Um... You know, we can uh, learn about me, my life and, and career. Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward. And as I just mentioned prior to recording, I've got a, I've got a younger brother who is very excited that I'm chatting with Lee Clark as as season ticket holders. This is quite an exciting one for us. Um, you know, Lee, talk, tell us about where, where did you grow up as a kid? Um, initially, I grew up in Walker. Um, as in the younger years, I went to St Anthony's Primary School, um, and then. Uh, is I got into my teenage years, went to Benfield School, and and then I moved to to Walls End High Form, and uh, so all my early part of my life was the East End of Newcastle. Um, I was born on the banks of the River Tyne um, when I lived in Walker, literally a couple of hundred yards, and yeah. and, and you were at the Tyne there. So, and then uh, yeah, so th- that was it really in terms of where I was from. Like like every other young lad that grew up at the east end of Newcastle or in not in you know North Tyneside, was it Walls End Boys Club where you found your love for football? Yeah, well, how it started was quite unique actually. Um, I was I was obviously in a primary school, so you had your infants and juniors together. So I was in the top of the infants. I was like six years of age, and. Uh, I was just kicking a ball about one day in the yard at, at, at playtime and uh, the, the the football teacher, Mr. Jim Horrocks, who played a massive part in my career, he would just seem to be walking past and he just said to us, how you got your football boots? Little fella, we've, uh, we've got a school game tonight and we're a couple of players short. Uh, and I didn't, but because I only lived a couple of minutes from the school, I could get a message to get home and, and, and get me boots. So I did and he put, he put us in the group and, then put us on from the, the substitute bench. I was still a little infant and I was uh, six years of age playing in the under-11 team. That's and close. then it, it just it just went from there, really. Um, and I, I stayed in the team. A um, couple of weeks down the line, as you said, the, the, the famous Walls End Boys Club, a guy called Brian Clark, no relative, but someone who was, who was very close to us, mm. he... He was he was taking a team at uh, Walls End Boys Club at the time. He was also scouting for Newcastle United, and uh, wow. he asked us if I would be prepared to come down. But he didn't realise how young I was because the rules for Northumberland Boys Clubs um, was um, the, the rules the rules for sorry about that rules for Walls End Boys Club was you had to be a certain age to play in their youngest team, which was under eleven. So obviously right. me being six, I didn't fit that criteria. So, but I did accept it, and I used to go down and train with them the under eleven team. Wow! Um, and then to get me into the team, they used to have to 
put me down on the team sheet as somebody else. Right. So if one of the players were missing, I shouldn't really be saying this because we might get in trouble all these years later. Um, I doubt it. <laughs> they used to put me down on the team sheet as, as whichever player was missing that weekend. Class. Um, to, for allowing me to, to 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 play in the team, and then obviously got into the City Boys team, Newcastle Boys, Newcastle City Boys team under a great guy called Brian Simpson, and then it just went from there really. So, um, what I ended up when I went to the boys club as well, I also got involved in the five-a-side leagues there. So, me week was probably consumed by Walls End Boys Club um, was because if I wasn't training with the 11-a-side team um, I was playing in the 5-a-side leagues and how they used to run the training sessions it was like military it was it, they didn't just try and make you a better footballer try to make you a better person the discipline was huge right. and we'd, what we'd do we'd had a, we had a room upstairs where we'd do the physical work uh, maybe a weight circuit etc and we'd do that for 30 minutes and then we'd go down onto the gym floor or the or the youngest team would do it. So we would start off, uh, say, at, at 6 o'clock, 30 minutes, then 6.30 on the little 5 a court or a football work. The under-12s would then come in, then the 13s, 14s, and, and they would do it. And then, obviously, I'd turn at night. So, yeah, yeah that's how we'd done it. And, and that gave us the discipline. So it, it was brilliant. I loved it, I was just football, 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 because then obviously on the weekend I was either have school and um, school or city boys games, and then and then obviously on a Sunday play for Wolves and Boys Club. I mean, it's it, as I say, coming from that neck of the woods myself and playing at Wolves and Boys Club as a kid, I can remember it was it was fanatic, wasn't it? The, the amount of kids that were in there was. And now you wouldn't get away with having that many kids in a hall, would you? It was absolutely rammed every week. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, I, I made some friends for life in there you know yeah, from yeah. the age of six people who I'm really close to now and obviously lots of lots of us which is quite unique for one boys club went on to have good careers in the game um, and yeah. so and we've stayed we've stayed strong friends since and yeah. um, so it's just special memories uh, yeah, it's yeah. strange now even when I drive past because obviously the the boys clubs now moved, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, so I'm, I, when I'm look, I look still try and look for the building. It's now houses, so it's a, it's a strange one for me. It is. I, I totally it's, it's strange. It's weird not it not being there now that's moved. You know, you've obviously been recognised as a talent from being like six years old. The fact that you're playing in the under 11s. When was the time when Newcastle came knocking at the door and saying, "Look, Lee, we we recognise your potential. Would love to get you into the." you know, get you into the facilities, get you over to train? Well, um, this is a bit of a guess, I think, because I can't really remember. I know they had what was called a centre of excellence. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's obviously what the academy is now. That's what it was. And um, I think I was about maybe 11 or 12 or something. Right. And um, I got called into that because I'd, you know, when I first went to watch Newcastle in 1980 as an eight-year-old standing in the Gallagher end, watching these guys play for Newcastle, you never realise what it takes. You never realise that you, if you do well in football, you'll have that opportunity to play for yeah, Newcastle. Yeah. You didn't. You thought that was like the Holy Grail. You weren't. You couldn't get to that level. You know, yeah, you yeah. didn't realise what it was about. So, um, it was. So when I got asked it uh, at that, that age, I used to go and train. Obviously with them two or three nights a week as well. And then, uh, you know, and it was it was brilliant just to be in, involved with a football club and, and, a, and it's a real special time, you know. 
I can imagine, especially as a, as a home fan as well and being a big supporter, that must be, well, it's certainly, I know when I was a kid, it was every every young lad's dream to play for Newcastle. That's what you want to do. Yeah, but, he, but even then, you know, when I was in the Centre of Excellence, you never ever, I kind of recollect that I ever thought, oh, well, this is the start of getting into yeah, yeah. playing for Newcastle United first team. You, you didn't think that way until you got into your late teenage years, yeah, yeah. 14, 15, and then, you know, you sign your schoolboy forms and you, you get a, a full-time contract, etc. So that was um, that. That was the, the the stuff, you know. And I get to meet the legend who was Joe Harvey, who who when they were because at the time there was lots of other clubs buying for me signature. When I became fourteen, right. Newcastle had to give me something that they'd never done before in terms of length of contract, um, wow. financial uh, gains, and stuff that was in this contract. So what the, rather than the youth development area, just make the decision and say yes, um, we 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 can we can do this. It had to go through Joe Harvey, who was the chief scout of the first team right. at the time, and obviously Joe, for the older view as well, know is was a legendary captain and manager of the club, uh, won numerous trophies, FA Cups and. You know, Europe equivalent to the Europa League now yeah, was yeah. the Fairs Cup then. So he obviously understood the club, understood the club, and understood what it took. So I remember we played a game against a Scandinavian team, and um, we, I think we won by eight or nine goals, and I scored five on the day. And I think immediately Joe turned to the, the guys who had to make the decision and said, "Will you up and go and get the contract printed? We've got to get them sorted and tied down." You know, so. Wow. That that was it. That was it, really. So that was the start start of it. And in in the meantime, I was turning down Manchester United and Tottenham's wow. of this world and etc. To because obviously, this was the where it really started to sink in that I, I could possibly have a chance of fulfilling yeah, yeah. any Newcastle lads' dream. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you, when you're talking about there, the fact that you didn't quite realise until you were in your older teens that playing for Newcastle was. Like within touching distance, or almost a, it could become a reality. Do you think that that's what maybe hampers young people these days? As soon as they get signed up to a club from a young age, they think this is it. I'm going to be a professional footballer. Um, possibly because they get something so quickly in 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 terms of the facilities as well. My son's been in an academy system, so I know how they basically get treated like first team players. Yeah, yeah. You know how from a very, very early age, there's no like um, difference of level until, you know, you don't, until you achieve something. That was the difference uh, with myself. So, yeah, as I said, it was the early days, you just think, because you put them such on a pedestal and you're fascinated players and you go and watch them, you think, well, I don't know, they must be so special. I don't know how you ever get to that. So, and and you never ever think, that you can do it. You it's your dream of it, but you yeah, never yeah. think it's ever going to be a reality. So, but uh, thankfully, it did. What was it like then when you made your debut as a professional for Newcastle United, your boyhood club? It was um, it was unbelievable. It was a mixture of uh, excitement, so much pride, um, fear, anxiety, because you know now was the reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were going out and stepping out in front of people who are going to make a judgment on on what you were doing, um, but loved it. Um, I'll forever be in Jim Smith, the late Jim Smith's debt. I was seventeen when he gave us my debut, and uh, 
it was uh, a special real special occasion it's it's completely different it's it's very difficult to try and replicate first team football even when you had the old style reserve teams because yeah. obviously you're coming up against a better type of player but you're also coming in a, into an environment where the game is so much quicker obviously the higher the level you go and uh, but it was, it was just un, it was unbelievable it was it was it was like living living the dream I, I always say that I, I lived yeah, yeah. the dream so that, that's what it was really yeah oh yeah I can assure you know what's your family saying then when all of a sudden you know like my, my boy my, you know professional footballer for Newcastle they, they must be waxing lyrical about that yeah listen obviously got two sisters and a brother and mum and dad and they're quite uh, humble my dad doesn't see a lot but I can I could sense that there was um a lot of pride there. Um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, doing something to represent the family, yeah, yeah. Um, and something you know that anyone could have been proud of. So I know my brothers and sisters were the, the followed us wherever they could. My mum and dad did, um, and, and you know, followed us throughout yeah. me football and career. So, I mean, how do you manage that? Contain it all. Do you know, being a seventeen-year-old lad, you're playing for your boyhood club. You're now a professional footballer. Is it because I can imagine some people do that and all, all of a sudden it's like, well, I've made it, and they, you can imagine they've went off the rails at times. And we've seen footballers come and go. How do you manage to rein that in and go, look, I've made it, but I need to make sure I sustain this and, and maintain being a professional player? Because it was my dream, it was my ambition. I knew yeah. the sacrifices that I had to make. But Andy, an example was when I was playing in the first team, um, I used to get the bus from High Farm to uh, the Haymarket bus station to go to the first team games. Wow. And the driver would let us off with a 50 pence fare <laughs> and say as long as I had a good game. And then I would walk <laughs> from Haymarket, then I'd walk from Haymarket bus station to uh, up to St. James's with the fans. Um, and what? then the only difference was they were going through the turnstile and I was going into the dressing room. And, uh, <laughs> so that, that was all stuff that, you know, I um, I just kept on doing really. Um, I love that. Until you, I, you imagine it now, it wouldn't happen now, would it? No, no, <laughs> until I eventually passed me trying to. No, it wouldn't. I mean, it was weird. I think, was it the 319 bus that meant it went from uh, high form to town at the time? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was used to wait at the bus stop opposite Noble's uh, news agents to, to uh, get the bus to the here market. That's... And then uh, I, on the way home, I was lucky enough, I used to get a lift back off one of the lads because. You didn't want to be getting on the bus if you've had a bad game or you've lost. Aye, <laughs> you've got to pay double the fee on the way back. Aye, aye. That'd be a quid. That's class. So you played in some phenomenal teams at Newcastle and like, you know, during the glory days almost as well. What what was it like playing in those teams and with those players? Well, first of all, it was an unbelievable period in the club's history. Yeah. Um and it still gets talked about now, and we get talked about like we actually done something fantastic in terms of winning a competition. Yeah. And that was the only thing we didn't do. But yeah. uh, as you say, the team, the management team, the players, the teammates that I ended up playing alongside, the foot, the type of football we played, the games we were involved in were just. It was just a ridiculously special time. I mean, yeah. we obviously trained at Maiden Castle, which was. Um, council-owned training facilities so it was open to the general public and on school holidays especially the Christmas period we'd have anything between five and 15,000 come to watch for train you know so it was intense because you were always under scrutiny 
It was yeah, intense yeah. because the manager was always improving the squad with excellent signings. And it was intense because of the demands of the manager and um, the standard of the group. So, But it was a brilliant time. We had a we had a great team spirit both on and off the field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, we so, socialised together, but we fought for each other on the pitch. Yeah, well, yeah, that was evident, wasn't it? I mean, if you look, um, you played with some unbelievers like Beardsley's, Janola's, Asprey's. Can you pick one player who was the best player to play with? It's difficult because you've just rattled off a few then. And if I look back over my time as a as a Newcastle player only, but I, I was lucky enough at the other two clubs. But in yeah, Newcastle, yeah. when you think when you think of the if I start listing off the strike as I played behind, so initially I started behind Mickey Quinn and Mark McGee. Yeah, yeah. And then we had David Kelly. Uh, then we had Gavin Peacock, Andy yeah. Cole. Uh, then we had Peter Beardsley. Um, we had Malcolm Allen, we had um, Fastino Aspria, Paul Kitson, uh, we had uh, Les Ferdinand, we had Alan Shearer. Um, when I came back later on, I had Mike Lone. Uh, uh, you know, it was, it was, <laughs> that's just the strike. Pick, I, I know you can't pick, can you? It's ridiculous. Well, there's obviously, there's obviously three, in my opinion, that stand out. Andy. Cool for his goal ratio yeah, for games, yeah. which I think was 64 and 82, which was a phenomenal yeah. return um, and got him a brilliant move to Man United. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Alan, because of he broke every record going yeah, for yeah. club and for Premier League. And for me, uh, someone who I grew up uh, watching, he probably wouldn't like his saying this, or he never used to because it meant that he was old because I played alongside him in the end. <laughs> but I watched him in the early year. I watched him in the early eighties, and he was a he was a hero of mine. Was Peter Beardsley, yeah. and it it's it's probably one of them where I've I've said it, and people might think, "Wow, how can you say that and not put Shira there?" But for me, Peter was probably the best player to ever wear black and white shirt. Um, I hard to disagree. Was phenomenal. Because Peter was a player who he was like when you were at school and you had the best player in the on the school team and they'd pick the ball up from their own keeper and they'd just dribble, dribble, dribble and then score wonder goal. And Aye. if you were losing, you just looked at Peter. And I remember there's there's lots of instances, but one that sticks in mind, we went to White Hart Lane and we're playing Spurs. We played particularly well, but we're we were a goal down. It looked like we were gonna get get beat. And Peter just scored two wonder goals replicated. They were replicas of each other, picking the yeah. ball up just inside the Spurs half, going past four or five players, but not just doing that. Magnificent finishes, you know. Yeah. And he could do that. He could do that. He, I've seen him score some crazy goals that people could question whether he meant it. But when you played with him for so long and you knew what he was capable of, you knew that he meant it. It was no yeah. fluke. You know, there's things like the goal against Norwich when the keeper was trying to read the cross when he was down by the East Stand at St. James as he, he took the quick look, seeing the keeper's left a big gap at the New York Post and hit it with such power, but with outside of his foot that it's went in. Yeah, yeah. You know, and people outside who didn't know Peter would think, oh, just a bad cross gone wrong. Well, I can assure you it wasn't. It was it was, it was was meant to be. And yeah, um, yeah. It, he wasn't just a... a, a he scored fantastic goals, but he also made goals for other people as well. His yeah. vision and passes were, were were phenomenal. No, I'm glad I asked that question now. So Newcastle career comes to you know because you had cruised into it. What was it like when you you either made the decision to move or you got told you were being sold? I made the decision to be honest. Um, 
it, it, it involved Peter again. I mean, I was in a good run of form. Kevin had gone. Kenny Dagby should come in. Uh, we played three games in the week and I'd scored in every game. I was playing well. It was um, We played uh, Aston Villa, a weird Villa Park. Got a 2-2 draw and I scored in that. Chip Mark Bosnich from the centre circle after Alan put him off and he missed kick to his. Um, went to me and Alan scored in the FA Cup replay against Charlton at St James's to beat them 2-1. And then uh, we went to Southampton and I thought I'd scored a goal that could eventually get the hoodoo of Southampton away from us because that yeah, was yeah. our bogey team. But that, uh, you know, when I say bogey team, and, and I talk about bogey player, Matt Letizier come up with a stunning equaliser and injury time. So I, I was not only playing well, I was putting goals to my game. And then we had a cup tie to play against Forrest and Peter was coming back from injury. And as I just said to you, Peter, in my opinion, best player to play in a black and white shirt. So there was no um, thought that I'd, Peter would be left out of the team because yeah, of yeah. me. But I thought because of my form, someone else might have to make yeah, way. But yeah. I made way. And I knew then that, well, I'm in this type of form and I kind of keep me place in the team. It's probably ready for me to go and have a look at pastures new. and Because yeah, um, yeah. the hardest thing for any football is you work extremely hard Monday to Friday. And then the biggest thing, the, the biggest buzz of the week is taken away from you because you, you haven't been selected in the 11. And that's what happens when you're involved in a terrific squad that I was. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. you know, I decided I decided then the club actually made an offer for me to stay in, in longer contract, etc. But uh, I decided that uh, it was time to move on. Wow. OK. Next, next step in the career then, where did you head off to? <laughs> uh, we uh, well, it's, it's, it's a lot of people said in the dark side they call it, didn't it? So um, yeah, <laughs> no. Listen, I um, I'd been approached. Paul Bracewell, the next teammate of mine, was yeah. assistant at Sunderland. He got in touch. I met with Peter Reid. I'd met with five or six of previous other clubs: Celtic, Rangers, Aston Villa, Derby County. Obviously managed by you know Jim, who gave us my yeah, debut, yeah. Jim Smith. Manchester City, Frank Clark, uh, you know, Newcastle legend as well. The two big giants of uh, Scottish football, Brian Little at Villa. So, and Sunderland was, you know, the, the, the last club I went to speak to and I had no intention of signing for them, to be honest with you. Right. But, you know, after meeting Peter and, and hearing what his plans were for me personally, but the team, I thought, well, I've just been working with, with Kevin Keegan an inspirational guy. I think this yeah, guy yeah. could, you know, do similar things and I decided to plumb for that one. I wasn't having to move away from the area. I was, yeah, yeah. I'm, up until then, I was quite a home bird. I, I, I like being in and around my family. Um, just had my, who, my oldest son, my first child. He was quite young. So, um, you know, we thought I thought this would be the best decision. And yeah. In terms of football, two years, two great years for us. Thoroughly enjoyed playing for Peter. Um, uh, Peter Reid great guy um, met, met up with him a couple of weeks ago for a bit of lunch and it was fantastic to see him again yeah. top top man um, but you know the reality kicked in when we got promoted to the Premier League and you know I had a predicament was I was going to he has me potentially going to line up for Sunderland against Newcastle and I felt in my heart of hearts that wasn't going to be possible I couldn't do that and give me best for Sunderland and that's not one of my strengths was always giving me best, no matter yeah, yeah. how I was playing, good, bad, or indifferent. I give everything I had. And um, if that was coming into my mind, I didn't I didn't want to uh, 
you know, short change anyone at Sunderland yeah, Football yeah. Club. So I've decided that it was time for me to move on. Wow. I mean, you talk about then, I think you sit in the terraces as, as non-professional players, or, you know, not even as an ex-professional. And I th- you listen to it every week and you listen to the people that are shouting abuse at players and what. And I imagine, I remember uh, vaguely, but, you know, going from Newcastle as Newcastle out to Sunderland, would, would never have been, I can imagine never one easy decision and two, the stick you must have got must have been unbelievable. But the fact that you're sort of there, but a family, I think we do forget that. Like young lads who are playing football in their early 20s and some of them got families. If they don't want to move away, that should be their choice at the end of the day. Fair play to them if they want to stay around home. I, I totally understand it. I think we forget about it as spectators a lot of the time. No, listen, Andy, the, the... You see, I got a lot of stick. Mine, I felt, was really light-hearted because I still used to come back and watch Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. So, and and I'd go, I'd go into the city centre before the game and have a bite of eat and a pint of beer, and I'd see a lot of the fans. And there, there was light-hearted banter. It never ever got out of control. It never ever came to the fact where I was getting uh, verbally abused. Yeah, yeah. Never once, um, you know, and 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 that was brilliant for me. It was so much respect to the Newcastle fans for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know. Uh, so it never changed from my point of view. As I said, I, I came back numerous times to watch football games, both home and away. That's and good. Uh, obviously went went to Wembley for both cup finals, went to Old Trafford for the semis. And so just a great period for us, really. Oh, that's fantastic. So you went from some, and then Fulham was the next move, is that right? Yeah, I joined the um, the revolution that, Mohamed Al Fayed was yeah, getting yeah. upon in terms of Fulham Football Club. He took over when they'd finished 91st out of 92 clubs in the Football League. Yeah. I joined them in the Championship. Paul Bracewell was again another link. He was the manager. And uh, I just, um, I, uh, you know, went down there and, and just seen an unbelievably ambitious football club, a club that weren't happy where they were because they were in the championship. They wanted to get the Premier League. They wanted to fight the elite. They wanted to get there. The, the infrastructure of the club was amazing, but was always getting improved because the owner demanded that. He wanted the best of everything. And, um, you know, a beautiful part of the world. Did I ever think I'd go and play in London? Not a chance. Not when I was growing up in the North East. I didn't think that would ever be... But London just was too big for us, yeah, you know? Yeah. Whenever we played down there, couldn't wait to play the game and get out. So eventually spending seven years of my life down there and absolutely loving it um, at a brilliant club. A club that we went and I captained them in the Premier League, I captained them in Europe. At the time, we had our best ever finish, which was ninth in the Premier League, which would have easily been top five if we hadn't sold Louis Sohar in the the January window to Manchester United. Uh, So we, um, yeah... Terrific time and, and a great period for me and my family. Unbelievable. You know, once you decide to hang up the boots from playing football, you you know, the career you've had has been phenomenal. Premier League football, I played in the Championship, you've captained in the Premier League, like you say, you played Europe. Why Why did you want to stay in football? Is it just ingrained in you? Because you do see so many players now who move into management, but you also see a lot of players who just go, I'm kind of done with that now. I'm, I'm not having anything else to do with it. What was your motivation then for moving into management? I love football. I, I took my first coaching badge when I was 19. Oh. So, you know, so it wasn't just something that would come towards the end of my career. I was a pro license holder by the age of 30. So 
this was all stuff that I, um, I needed to and I wanted to achieve. And I didn't just want to become a coach. I wanted to be the uh, the man who made the big decisions. I wanted to be the one who the thing I was being pointed at, basically, um, if, if it wasn't going right. Uh, so I wanted to become a manager. I obviously worked my way up. I was reserve team manager at Newcastle, coupled with a little bit of first team coaching duties. And then obviously went to Norwich as an assistant. And then um, went on to take the job, job at Huddersfield. And um, now we've managed over 500 games um, in in the Football League and, and also overseas. What's it like then when you get that first managerial job? You know, yeah, you've you've earned it, you've worked your way up and you, you've earned all of that by getting all the experience. But, you know, as you said, all of a sudden it's what you wanted, but you really are now in the firing line. It's, it's all on you. No, it was exciting. I loved it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't realise a lot of the things that are happening and going on, you know. So, but it it is a completely different outlook. Even it's different, not just from being a player. It's different from even being an assistant. When I was an assistant manager to to the late Glen Rhoda at Norwich, you know, you you take a lot of things on board. But when you become the the manager and everything's resting on your shoulders, the the, the end result affects so many people inside the football yeah. club. The supporters. Affects how they feel for the for the coming days till the next game. So, um, and I was probably spoiled in my first job because what I'd done is um, I ended up working for an unbelievable owner, very similar age to mine, support of the Huddersfield Football Club town, and uh, he invested his his personal wealth that he become a successful businessman through uh, into the football club, and he allowed me to, to to build a team and a squad that was exciting and. And also set upon building an infrastructure uh, in a in a legacy in the future for the for the football club that we still see to this day. So, yeah. um, and I, and what I've done, you know, the two important things as a manager is results and recruitment, and both were fantastic for us yeah, yeah. in terms of the players I recruited that delivered. I mean, I've tried to replicate it so many times. What I had it 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 Huddersfield. It's been quite difficult, and I think that it's been difficult because uh, the, the the lads that I ended up getting together and the group that I got together were, were, were fantastic for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that one of the learning experiences said there? But you try to replicate it. Is it almost one of those things where you realise sometimes you just can't replicate that, and you've just have to constantly be adapting your managerial style? Yeah, of course. Oh no, that it, it wasn't just that. It was just the ways and means that I'd done with previous teams and yeah, yeah. And, and, and and how we'd worked and uh, the 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 things we put in place. Of course, it was. I think I've in terms of some of the things uh, that you know the choices I've made in the managerial side have been tough choices. Have been yeah, yeah. in hindsight wrong choices. Just because of my love of the game, because I wanted to stay in and coaching and managing. One of the good things, one of the things that make me so proud uh, is my managerial career. I've, I've I've played a small part in helping and developing many many young players. So yeah, yeah. and seeing them go and flourish in that career um, and get higher and higher is it's a, it's a massive sense of achievement for, for me really. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, you went from one big club to another, really Huddersfield into Birmingham. You said you were spoiled at Huddersfield. What was the transition like going to Birmingham? Yeah, Birmingham, listen, massive club, fantastic yeah, yeah. football club, support, terrific. Um, 
obviously infrastructure, the stadium and the training ground, brilliant. But we hit financial difficulties and any kind of coaching course you go on can never set you up to handle, you know, when you're being told you're potentially going under transfer embargoes, when you're being told that you have to cut the wage bill by 75%. If we don't do that in a certain period of time, there's a chance the club could go into administration. When a club goes into administration, who are the first people to lose their jobs are the people behind the scenes who are one, usually supporters of that football club. Um, aren't particularly picking up massive salaries in the context of the football club in comparison to managers, coaches and and players. So that was, you know, there was a lot of pressure on me and and, and, uh, there was a lot of pressure because the board at the time, based in Hong Kong, basically went back overseas and and, and left the basic running to an English administration team who were brilliant behind me. But ultimately, I was answering questions Hardly about football in the yeah, end. Yeah. It, it was a, it was about the finances of the club. It was about the situation of the club, the standing of the club. Was the club still going to survive in yeah, terms yeah. of finance? Was it ever going to go into administration, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Not really part of what yeah, I yeah. wanted is my remit. I wanted to just focus on on the team. Yeah, I mean, is it almost a relief when that job came to an end? Not at all. No, it broke me heart. I, I loved working really? for the club. Yeah, of course. It was tough. and never get past that in terms of because the expectation of the fans and rightly so was to, to be challenging. The club should be in the Premier League. It's everything. The only thing that's not Premier League about it is the position where they are at the moment. Everything yeah. else is. It's uh, So yeah, the, the day I got told I, my contract was being terminated. It was an emotional day. Uh, the, 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 the backroom staff I had people who I took with us but also people I inherited were brilliant people yeah, yeah. they'd done nothing but me support support me the, the response of the fans was fantastic I mean yeah of course I got a bit of stick when we had bad results but that, you understand that comes with a job oh, yeah. but in general they, they, they kept trying to help and support the team um, so yeah it was um, you know just it was just tough Oh yeah, I mean, it sounds like you just thrive on it because I can imagine if someone said to me, "Look, it's you know that's the end of it now. It's we're going to a different direction." As you said, probably for however many months it was, you weren't really dealing with just team stuff anymore. You weren't able to focus on just your job. You were having to deal with everything else that was going on in the background. I'd imagine I'd be sat there. Maybe I'd enjoy the challenge, but in my head now, I'm thinking I'd probably be relieved that I don't have to put up with that anymore. And I can look yeah. for ventures new. I mean, and, and it's not like you've ever waited around and hung around looking for jobs. It was Blackpool next. It's another massive club. You know, they had a really successful period a few years back, and it's it's a shame they've went yeah, back well, down again. But they were exciting at the time. And <coughs> yeah, at the time. And but when I went in there, see, us football managers have got crazy egos. We think we can do what someone else couldn't do, and we yeah. think that. Um, you know, not no jobs too big or or, or, or too impossible. Yeah, yeah. So they were bottom of the table at the time. They had four points from fourteen games in the championship, and I'd read about all this turmoil. They didn't have enough players at the start of the season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but I thought, well, listen, if I can keep these up, this would be like winning a a, a trophy yeah, on my yeah. CV. So I went into the football club, and I quickly realised that the problems were so much. Uh, deep rooted than I thought. Right. There was no infrastructure. The training facilities were abysmal. The pitch was abysmal. The recruitment process was non-existent. Players that were there were basically players who 
it took Blackpool as a as a last choice right. in terms of the clubs that they had. It was a lack <coughs> of motivation because of the lack of investment into the football club. It was a, it was a tough tough period, and uh, ultimately got we got relegated. Um, you know, with a with a with a poor uh, return of points, and um, it it was it was a big black mark. I I quit. Obviously, I took the job yeah. at the start of November, and, and I quit in May. Um, it was never something that I should have took on. Definitely in hindsight, didn't realise how deep rooted the problems yeah. were. There was a massive, there was a massive conflict between the supporters and the ownership, and I got yeah. caught in the middle of that because I was appointed by the owners, and they thought I was a supporter of them, which yeah. I was anything but. Um, I, I didn't. I, I just wanted to be successful. To help yeah, the yeah. club stay up, so it would help me, and yeah, of course, you know that that didn't prove to be the case. And I think it 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 had an adverse effect on my managerial career that relegation, um, and uh, it it cost me. In hindsight, I wish I'd have just took a bit more time after Birmingham. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people would have seen that in the circumstances I was dealing with at Birmingham, I'd done a good job. Yeah, uh, if I hadn't have took on that Blackpool role, people might have seen us in a different way. I could have given me chance myself a chance to recharge the batteries yeah, but yeah. Uh, unfortunately it wasn't a big so Kilmarnock then moving moving up north into the Scottish I mean that must be a that's a, a big change as well isn't it going from sort of Premier League championship you know playing Premier League managing in the championship and then going into the Scottish Premier League what's the standard like up there well that was the thing when I went up there and then after a while I realised that there was a a, a an unfair criticism of the standard of the game up in Scotland. Um, you know, here I was managing against Celtic and Rangers, going to Celtic yeah, yeah. Park, managing in front of 62,000. Uh, at Ibrox, 56,000. And, and where was I going to get the chance down south yeah, doing yeah. that? That would be the only be the Premier League. You obviously, um, Hearts were in the league that time. Hibs weren't there. Dundee United had got relegated. So... Yeah. But when these clubs have come back, it was strong. I, I loved it. I had a great year there. I took over the club when they were joint bottom of the league. I kept them in the league via the playoffs. And then uh, I had exactly a year there. So I left them in the top six. And at that time, if you're getting in the top six and you're outside the old firm, yeah, you're yeah. doing well, you know. Yeah. So um, oh, I, was, uh, I, I was enjoying it. Uh, I loved the people. I loved the... Uh, the, the the honesty of, of Scottish football it had a little bit of old school about it really really respectful people the, the football club Kilmarnock was brilliant the support we got they showed me when we played the second leg of the, the playoff final um, to stay in the league when we, we had about 15,000 there the atmosphere was electric Immense. and uh, and then I got the chance I got headhunted to go back down south and I thought, well, this is probably my last opportunity if I'm going to do it to do well down in England and, yeah. and try and achieve my ambition, which was to, to manage in the Premier League. And um, in hindsight, again, I probably should have stayed at Kilmarnock a bit longer. Now, knowing now what I know, yeah. knowing now, if I had knew that then, I could I could have made that decision, but I didn't realise what was, what was going to be unfolding at Bury, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you say, it's, it's the unknown you're going into, isn't it, really? And you, if you don't take these opportunities, you, you'll never know. And as you said, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You know, you managed Blythe as well, back back up home. And what was that like, managing Blythe? Terrible. 
terrible really? in, 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 in not, not yeah not in a, the derogatory way to Blythe. Great people, great fans, great history. Um, but I, I knew nothing about non-league football. Yeah, yeah. None of my life had been about that. I didn't know the teams I was coming up against. We, we had no squad when I arrived, so I was relying on people's advice. And I yeah, signed yeah. a group of players that I signed a group of players that were basically not not good enough for the level that we were competing at, and wow. it, 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 it proved very tough. Um, and uh, not something I enjoyed. I didn't enjoy not having a yeah, lot of yeah. time with the players on the training pitches. You know, we trained two nights a week, but with the games, we ended up having one night a week and then with yeah. weather, sometimes you didn't train. Um, the travel, obviously, it was classed as National League North, but some of the travelling was ridiculous. You know, going to Gloucester and Hereford yeah, and yeah. Kettering and Leamington and, and, and my lads obviously working. This was yeah, something yeah. that I, I, I couldn't get my head around. I respected yeah, yeah. the lads who'd done it. I respected the lads because they were working as well. They had their own jobs. Football was a secondary uh, job. and um, But it, I just I couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah it was something that I should have never dipped me toe into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd, never, I'd never do it again. Uh, I, I like that honestly, though. Because I never, I, I didn't really know anything about the level yeah. I was working at. And, 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 and that showed in terms of the, what I what I've always tried to do is give lads from a lower level an opportunity to yeah, play at a higher level, and that's what I thought I was doing initially at Blythe, and yeah, it yeah. come up so far short, and um, really? that it was yeah, it was it was only because of, of circumstances that the club club survived, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. It's nice to hear kind of refreshing honesty about that as well. I think that's a class. What's the plans now then, Lee? Well, I had a spell overseas in Sudan working yeah. for a massive African club called Al Marik, and we done I done really well there. I got them to the top of the table. We beat our big rivals Al Hilal, which away from home, which we hadn't done in twelve years. Yeah. Uh, we were top of the league. I had a disagreement with the president and, and moved on. Uh, we eventually lost the league by eleven points, but we probably yeah. would have won it. Whether yeah. and I loved it. The, the fanatical support there in, in Sudan, I mean, 43,000 for home games. Wow. We competed in the Champions League of Africa. So, you know, I was work, I had group matches in the Congo and yeah. Tanzania in, in Egypt. Wow. So it was it was terrific. Um, so I'm, that's something that's whetted my appetite. Uh, looking, looking for opportunities to do that again. And yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, my coaching career isn't over. I'm still, I'm still looking to to do things on that side of the, the, the game. Tremendous. I mean, you see, so many coaches now going abroad to to almost, you know, rediscover their love of the game. I suppose as well because maybe it hasn't worked in England. Do you think that sometimes England is seen as the be all and end all when it comes to football, especially if you're an English manager? But how many people go abroad and you see them out that are coming back now with this amazing experience? And I think, well, fair play. What's happening, Andy, is it's filtering down in English football and you're not getting any time. You yeah. lose a couple of games. It's impossible. It's pointless talking about, I've got this project, I've yeah, got that yeah. project, I've got this idea. Because if you go into a club and it doesn't matter how early it is and you don't get a run of results, um, it's, it, you know, you're out the door. So, yeah, yeah, And especially the, especially the Lua League club, you're not getting opportunity because there's not a lot of finance knocking about yeah, these yeah. clubs especially since the pandemic yeah. you know to, to do things the way you want to do them so you know it's it's trying to get in there and work with what you've got and try and improve them yeah and but you, you, the, the the time 
the time scale of a of the modern day manager in the UK now is is, is crazy. Yeah, I, yeah, I can imagine. Well, you see it every day, don't you? There's always someone being sacked from by various clubs. Newcastle takeover. What do you think of that? Brilliant. It's give everyone a lift. Yeah, yeah. wasn't about it. It's give the whole city a lift. It's give all the fans a lift. You can sense a new uh, era. You can sense a new belief in the supporters. Yeah. I was at the Spurs game. The excitement, the buzz. Yeah. We've got a new ownership. We've now got it. We've got a new manager and management team. He spoke brilliantly. I thought yeah. in his press conference because he he knew his only focus can be is keeping the team in the league. That's yeah, yeah. got to be the priority, you know. Definitely. And 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 he's, he's got to build the confidence of the players. Obviously, they look a group that are a little bit short on confidence. Yeah. You you will be because we haven't won a game yet this season, and that's normal. So hopefully he can, and it doesn't matter how much money we've got because the window doesn't open until January. We've got a lot of games to play until then. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got to get the results and we've got to stay in the league. And then, and then if he can crossed. achieve that, the future, the long, the mid, the long term future of the football club looks fantastic. It looks yeah. like it's going to be one of the most exciting periods in the club's history. Yeah. Uh, but this, this short term goal, It'll dictate how long that will take. The, yeah. the, the success that I'm got no doubt the new owners will bring because of their ambition. Yeah, that'll be dictated how quickly that happens by by this season, and hopefully it means that we, we stay up and we can get cracking on pushing the club forward uh, sooner rather than later. I know I've, you read the national media, and the national media seem to think that every Newcastle fan thinks we're going to win the league within about two years and that we're going to, you know, almost qualify for Europe this year. I've not met one Newcastle fan who hasn't thought if we can just stay in the Premier League, that'll be a bonus. And I, I still speak to a lot of them when I, because I'm a season ticket holder, I go at the game every week and there's still a lot of us sat around thinking, you know, we'll be lucky to escape relegation at the moment, but maybe it's, you know, we've done it in the past, maybe it's, I don't want it to happen, but maybe it's what we need to rebuild again, who knows? I think it's because we don't know. Well, Andy, for me, it's it's lazy journalism. It's lazy from a lot of the pundits as well, the next yeah, yeah. players. Because all the talk about is that Newcastle fans' expectation, 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 which is absolute nonsense. Yeah, it is. You know, the, the, the supporters have had to put up with la- no ambition whatsoever for the last 14 yeah, yeah. years, hoping that the club would just finish, or the people at the top, the leadership group, wanting the club to be happy to finish fourth bottom. You know, Falling through the trap door twice, yeah, you yeah. know. No, I, I'm with you. No Newcastle fan I've ever spoken to was saying, "Oh, brilliant! In a year's time, we're yeah, going to yeah. be challenging Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea." They know that this is going to be a process. They oh, know yeah. that this is going to be a, a slow burn. It's going to be the first priority: stay in the Premier League. Then, can we stop being a team that's challenge, uh, fighting for relegation? Can we maybe get around about the top ten, mid table? Yeah, yeah. Then from there, can we build a try and challenge to get into the Europa League, 100%. Sports, which is top eight? And then while we do that, we can bring a better standard of player, better quality of player, and then we can go maybe and say, right, this is this the year where we can tra- challenge yeah, to be yeah, a top six, top four. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and I think I think it's for me, it's it's it just jumping on the bandwagon. He and someone say it, and other yeah, people yeah. saying it, and, and not having any. Uh, signs of realism about them <laughs> yeah I totally agree okay so we've talked about the takeover we've talked about your career and I've asked you about if kind of the best player you played with at Newcastle and you, you've you kind of put the Beardsley up there as the best person to ever wear a black and white top who's the best player then take outside of the Newcastle team who you've ever played with I've ever played with ever outside played with outside Newcastle, Newcastle. 
Oh, God. Um, I'll let you name a couple if you want to. <laughs> well, obviously, I played in a spell where this guy was in his best, got him in, he got in the England squads and he, he was an unbelievable goal scorer for the two years I was with him at Sunderland was Kevin Phillips. Yeah. Um, obviously, phenomenal. phenomenal. Um, uh, it, it Fulham, um, I played in front of, a, of one of the best, the very best in Edwin van der Sar yeah. as, a, as a goalkeeper. Um, wow. You know, it's a, 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 a terrific footballer. Um, oh God, we had, we had uh, Louis Sahar, uh, who was, uh, it's, it's tough. Put you on the spot. Um, put you think... on the spot. I know it's hard because they all play different positions as well. But who's the, who's uh, the best person you played alongside in midfield and, and that could be from any team. I'd probably say uh, John Collins. Right. John yeah, Collins. Yeah. We signed him from Monaco, the Scottish yeah, yeah. International. Yeah. John was a phenomenal technical footballer um, who, who could do so many good things. Yeah. Um, another another one which is a, a real sense of sadness for me because I played alongside him I captained him and then I managed him when I was at Birmingham and he was a phenomenal footballer I was Papa Bouba Diop oh, who's yeah. unfortunately passed away we, yeah, he, we, did, he yeah. was the, his nickname was the wardrobe and he was he was he was like my security stroke bouncer on the pitch because he was six foot five yeah. he was like he was so wide but he had the touch of an angel he could caress the football he scored some wonder goals yeah, yeah. especially against your Chelsea's and um, Man United's um, and when I signed him he was um, for Birmingham it was brilliant he was I, I had so much love for him you know for him his life to end the way yeah, it did yeah. so early but yeah. he was a phenomenal footballer it's it's difficult because probably when we stop this I'll probably remember four or five <laughs> more it's it's difficult because you think if it's not recorded it doesn't count <laughs> <laughs> Um, best player you played against them. I'm sure that's that might be. Uh, let's go. Let's go both domestically and abroad. So domestically, Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, uh, yeah. foreign wise, Zinedine Zidane. Um, so yeah, n- not bad to that fella. <laughs> not at all. I mean, just the three. Play- Why would Scholes and Keane? the best players you played against because obviously you're, you're up against them constantly throughout the night. Well, well for, for me at that time, Roy Keane could do everything. He was uh, a box-to-box midfield yeah, player yeah. so he could he could start attacks, he could pass short and long, he could run with the ball quickly, he could break lines, he could score goals. He was a great leader. Um, he was ferocious. He, he was aggressive. Um, Paul was ticks all those boxes as well yeah, probably yeah. even though he was aggressive and ferocious his tackling wasn't the best he hit that <laughs> waist high but his 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 ability vision awareness goal scoring ability on the ball I got the chance to meet them um, a couple of times and what set them out was um, they were so humble yeah, as yeah. well they were so genuine guys I mean, there was a young Stephen Gerrard coming on the scene with Xabi yeah, Alonso yeah. at Liverpool. That was the partnership I come up against there. You had Patrick Vieira, Manuel Petit at, yeah. um, at uh, Arsenal. Yeah. You had Frank Lampard and Claude McAuley at Chelsea. Um, you know, in Balak. So you had 
lots of yeah, you play against uh, them all. top class, top class opponents um, on a regular basis. But I, I see it probably because the one everything as well yeah, domestically and European wise would be schools and, and keep. Wow, wow, and, and Zidane just kind of speaks for himself as well, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, just, just don't get near it. Yeah, you just don't. Get, I was watching. There was a. Oh, it was on Facebook yesterday. I think was it Aspria's birthday yesterday, and there was a there was a clip, and you're kind of just stood in midfield and thinking, I'm I'm just gonna wait because he's not gonna pass us the ball anyway, and he puts it through. It's against Money <laughs> Light, and he puts it through the legs. It might be Dennis Irwin, and he puts it through his legs anyway. And you're thinking, you're just watching him going, yeah, right. I was never getting that ball off him. Nah, <laughs> that was class. What a, what a great lad. What a great character. Um, yeah, bought in, bought into being a Jordy. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I was speaking with him a couple of months ago. He's, he's brilliant, phenomenal geezer. Love him. I can imagine. I can imagine. I absolutely loved him when he was at Newcastle. Absolutely. I, just, I think he was just a bit different. One either he was, you know, you had Ginola who was flair player, but then Aspria just had some extra swag about him. Then he was like, oh, yeah. without a doubt, he yeah, was class. Yeah, yeah. He was class. Lee. Have you got one piece of advice you would give to somebody who wants to maybe follow in your footsteps by becoming a professional footballer, by becoming a manager? Just what would be your piece of advice that you give to a young person? Just be dedicated. There's a lot of sacrifice. Um, there's a lot of hard work. Um, what I'd probably say now, being the old man that I am, is don't get too down with the lows and don't get too high with the highs. Try and yeah. keep level try and keep you know it's a sport so you'll win and you'll lose as long as you you learn from the wins and you lose you learn from the losses as long as you keep doing that you become better at what you're doing and that's all you can ask and every single day if you give your best and for whatever reason it doesn't go right no one can question you no one can criticize you if you give your best on any given day if you're a footballer if you're a coach a manager and you don't get the result that's required, as long as you can look yourself in the eye and in the mirror and say, there was nothing left that I could give, that's all anyone can do. All anyone can do is give their best. But to be a footballer, the rewards are fantastic, but there is a lot of sacrifice. There is a lot of dedication that is required. No, I appreciate that. You know, one question I didn't ask, who was the best manager you ever played for? Oh wow, that's that's ridiculous. That's one that's very difficult to answer. You don't have to answer them if you don't said, want to. You don't have to answer <coughs> for for different reasons. Jim Smith gives me debut. Yeah. Ozzy Ardalis was a big believer in young players. Kevin for speaks yeah. for himself, the manager of the, the best group of players I played with. Loved playing for him. He, he made you feel the best in the world. Kenny Daglish because of what he'd achieved and yeah. was a great man both as a player and as a, as a manager. Peter Reid, as I said, was fantastic for me personally. Paul Bracewell, you know, strong manager for me. John Tigana was unbelievable, brought a new way of thinking for me yeah. in the sports science of fitness. Uh, I had Roy Evans and Carl Heinz Riedler for a yeah. short spell. Uh, Chris Coleman went from being a mate and a yeah, teammate yeah. and my manager, one of the youngest managers in the Premier League, had done a brilliant job. Then coming back Newcastle under Graham Souness, another manager and player who was iconic, Glenn Roda, a man who yeah. you know I knew from a young age, had so much respect for. Uh, you know, there's all these guys. It's if if you if you stay if you're saying you had to pick one, you always go with Kevin because yeah. of the era that was in the, in the group of players that he built. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate. It. Lee, thank you so much for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle. I really appreciate your time today. Cheers, Andy. Thanks, pal.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.